0: section 107 of the mysteries of london volume three this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. dot org recording by april six zero nine zero california united states of america the mysteries of london volume three by george w m reynolds the blackamoors strange adventure it was about nine o'clock in the evening of the same day on which the above-recorded interview took place between the earl of ellingham and lady Hatfield, that the blackamoor clad in a very plain almost a mean attire sauntered along pall mall west and stopped for a few moments in front of the nobleman's house he gazed wistfully at the windows murmured something to himself uttered a sigh and passed on his appearance attracted the notice of two gentlemen who were walking arm in arm in the same direction and as they examined him more closely by the light of an adjacent lamp one said to the other since his majesty has taken it into his head to have a black servant i really think that the very man to suit the purpose is now before us he is a well-made good-looking fellow my dear warren said the gentleman thus addressed you are positively absurd with your notions that you have only to ask in a king's name in order to have how do you know that this man wants this situation he looks as if he did harrel replied sir philip warren see he lounges along as if he had no fixed object in view his clothes do not appear to be any of the best and his whole demeanor gives me the idea of a lackey out of place my dear friend whispered sir randolph harrel who like his companion was one of the king's courtiers you are really wrong that man is something far superior to what you conceive him to be there is even an air of subdued gentility about him pooh pooh harold interrupted sir philip warren you do not understand these matters so well as i do at all events there is no harm in questioning that fellow for i should rejoice to be able to fulfil to-night a whim which our royal master only expressed this afternoon when he saw the french ambassador's splendid black chasseur, well as you please warren observed sir randolph harrel but as i do not wish to get myself knocked down for insulting a person of a superior class to what you imagine i shall leave you to pursue the adventure alone this conversation has been carried on so close to the Blackmore that although the two courtiers had spoken in a very low voice and had not of course intended that their remarks should be overheard, yet scarcely a word had escaped his ears. Affecting, however, all the time to continue his lounging, listless walk, he took no apparent notice of the gentleman behind him, and even pretended to start with a surprise when Sir Philip Warren, Sir Randolph Harrell, having re-entered Carlton House, tapped him on the shoulder. "'My good man,' said the courtier, in a patronizing fashion, I wish to have a few moments' conversation with you. Certainly, sir, exclaimed the blackamoor, touching his hat just like a lackey, and assuming the tone and manner of one. I thought so. I knew I was right, exclaimed Sir Philip, rubbing his hands in proof of his satisfaction, then, attentively scanning the black from head to foot, by the aid of the lamp at the door of a neighboring mansion, he said in a less excited tone, I suspect you, my good fellow, to be a person in search of employment yes sir interrupted the Blackmore, now enjoying the farce that he was playing i should very much like to obtain a good situation and can obtain a first-rate character from my late master the very thing cried sir philip warren hugely delighted at the opportunity of crowing over his friend sir randolph harrel then once more addressing himself to the black he said now what should you think if i propose to you to enter the household of his most gracious majesty I should be afraid that the offer was too good to be realized, sir, was the answer delivered in a tone of deep respect, although the blackamoor was laughing in his sleeve the whole time. It all depends upon me, my good fellow, said Sir Philip, and if I am satisfied with you, the matter is settled immediately, but we cannot continue to talk in the open street, so follow me to my own apartments in the palace. Thus speaking, the courtier led the way to Carleton House, the blackamoor following at a respectful distance and saying to himself what object i propose to myself in embracing this adventure i know not it however tickles my fancy and i will go on with it besides having an hour to spare i may as well divert myself in this way as any other accordingly he followed sir philip warren into the royal dwelling and in strict silence did they proceed until they reached an ante-room leading to a suite of apartments which were occupied by the old courtier. In the ante-room they stopped, for Sir Philip was immediately accosted by his valet, who, starting from a seat in which he had been dozing, said, If you please, sir, his majesty has sent twice, during the last half-hour, to desire your presence. Very good, Gregory, exclaimed Sir Philip. I will attend to the royal command this moment, and do take the present of hothouse fruit at once to my sister, Lady Maltone. Her ladyship requires it for her grand-supper to-night. Tell her that I am enabled to send it through the goodness of my royal master.' "'Yes, sir,' answered the valet, and instantly took his departure. "'My good fellow,' said Sir Philip Warren, turning towards the Blackamoor, "'you have perceived that it is impossible for me to speak to you at present. You must sit down and wait patiently until my return. I shall not be very long away. But in any case, wait.' Sir Philip Warren, having issued these injunctions, hastened into the inner apartments to amend his toilette after his evening's his stroll, and in a short time he came forth again with knee breeches and silk stockings. All ready to attend upon the king, in passing through the antechamber, he repeated his command that the black should await his return, and the latter promised to obey. When left alone, this individual seated himself and gave way to his reflections, forgetting for a time where he was. At length he started up, looked at his watch, and found that upwards of half an hour had elapsed since the old courtier had left him. He was already wearied of waiting, but a natural love of adventure and of the excitement of novelty induced him to remain a little longer to see the issue of the affair which had led him thither. He accordingly whiled away another half-hour with a newspaper which lay on the table and that interval having passed, he began to think of taking his departure without further delay. Issuing from the anteroom, he proceeded along a well lighted corridor, from the extremity of which branched off two smaller passages, one to the right and the other to the left. The blackamoor was now at a loss which path to pursue, for he could not for the life of him remember by which passage the old courtier had led him on his arrival an hour previously. He was not, however, a man at all capable of hesitating to explore even a royal palace in order to find a mode of egress when it did not suit him to wait for the return of his guide, and taking the passage to the right, he hastened on until he reached a pair of colossal folding-doors, perfectly recollecting to having passed through those doors on his arrival, or at all events through folding-doors exactly like them. He pushed them open, and entered a large ante-room, well lighted, and containing four marble statues as large as life. "'Now,' thought the blackamoor, "'I am mistaken.' For I do not remember to have seen these statues as I followed the old gentleman into the palace just now. And yet I might have passed through this room without noticing them. At all events, I will recollect those large and splendid folding doors, and so I must be right. It happened, however, that he was altogether wrong in the path which he had pursued in order to find an egress from the palace, and he was deceived by the fact that at each end of the long passage, from the middle of which the corridor branched off, there were folding-doors of uniform shape size and appearance but conceiving himself to be in the right road he crossed the ante-room and pushed open a door at the farther extremity found himself in a magnificent apartment the furniture of which was of the french fashion of king louis the fifteenth's time the hangings and drapery were of crimson velvet of which material the cushions of the chairs and the sofas were also made several fine pictures by old masters and vast mirrors with elaborately decorated frames graced the walls and the whole was displayed by a rich subdued golden lustre diffused throughout the room by lamps the globes of which were of very thick ground glass it was a mellow light sufficient yet without glare misty without being positively dim and calculated to produce a lulling sensation of voluptuous indolence rather than to dazzle the eyes with a wakeful brilliancy. In fact, there was altogether something ineffably luxurious in the general appearance of this apartment, which was magnificent without being spacious, and the perfumed atmosphere of which stole like a delicious linger on the senses. The blackamoor forgot for a few moments that he was an intruder, or, if he remembered the fact, he was indifferent to it, and though the instant he entered the apartment he saw that he had indeed taken a wrong path, yet he could not help advancing farther into it to admire its sumptuous elegance and fine pictures he was thus gratifying his curiosity when he heard voices in the ante-room through which he had just passed and obeying a natural impulse he slipped behind the rich velvet curtains drawn over the immense windows near which he happened to be standing at the moment the door opened and two persons entered the apartment i will await her here warren Said one in a commanding and triumphant tone, and see that during our interview we are secured against interruption of any kind. Your majesty shall be obeyed, answered Sir Philip. Have you any further orders, sire? None, my faithful friend, returned the king. Stay, have I the document? I gave it to your majesty ere now, after having myself fetched it from the Home Office, said the courtier. True, I have it safe, said George the Fourth and now hasten to receive the fair one warren it is past ten o'clock and i am impatient to behold her charming countenance again sir philip departed and the king throwing himself upon one of the voluptuous ottomans exclaimed aloud now for a new pleasure i know not how it is but i never before took so sudden and ardent a fancy for any woman as for this georgiana hatfield there is something truly bewitching inaffably captivating in her sweet countenance and the calm repose which her characterizes the general expression of that face has for me an influence profoundly voluptuous then her bust oh her bust that is charming indeed so full so richly proportioned and yet evidently so firm she has never married and a warren says that her reputation is untarnished it will be a luxury of paradise to revel in her virgin charms and yet somehow or other the joys of love are not generally unknown to ladies in the fashionable world who have reached the age of four or five and twenty no matter be she virgin or not she is an adorable woman and i am madly impatient for her coming the king rose from the ottoman and walked slowly across the apartment stopping opposite a mirror in which he surveyed himself his admirably fashioned wig was entirely to his taste there was not a curl or a wave which he could have wished otherwise than it was. his false teeth were white, fixed firmly in his mouth, and had a perfectly natural appearance. The tie of his cravat, borrowed from the fashion set by his once all-powerful favourite Beau Brummel, was exceptional. The white waistcoat had not a crease, so perfectly did it fit the portly form of the royal voluptuary. The above-mentioned Beau Brummel could not even in his ire against the king have found the shadow of an excuse for a caval against the black dress-coat so artistically was it made no tailor in the famous city of paris could have achieved a greater triumph in respect to the pantaloons and as for the polished dress-boots oh a mortal hobie well satisfied with the result of his survey george the fourth returned to the ottoman and relapsed into a train of voluptuous imaginings with respect to lady hatfield this current of thought whereby in his emasculated old age he endeavoured to invigorate his physical powers through the medium of an excited and heated imagination led him to reflect upon all the beautitious women and their name was legion who had ever surrendered themselves to his embraces and his ideas naturally wandered to the enjoyments luxuries and pleasures which he exalted rank and immense resources enabled him to procure then he chuckled with triumphant delight at the egregorous folly of the great and powerful english people tolerating a king at all but he likewise knew that his own conduct and example had done more harm to the cause of monarchy than all the republic pamphlets or democratic disquisitions ever published he was well aware that without ever intending to be so he was the most effectual means of opening the eyes of the civilized world to the insanity and madness of maintaining monarchical institutions and though he foresaw that the industrious millions of this realm must be inevitably sooner or later overthrow monarchy and establish a pure democracy yet he consoled himself in his revolting selfishness with the conviction that the throne would last during his time at all events it was half-past ten when the door opened and the blackamoor peeping from behind the curtains beheld a lady closely veiled entered the room the door immediately closing behind her adorable georgiana exclaimed the king hastening forward to receive her and then conducting her to a seat i rejoice that you have thus yielded to my wishes that you have come to me this evening but wherefore sir did you insist upon this visit asked lady hatfield in a low and tremulous voice our compact stipulation that i was first to receive a certain document as a proof of your majesty's sincerity dearest georgiana raise that odious veil lay aside that invidious bonnet which conceals your charming countenance exclaimed the monarch in an impassioned voice oh sire i have taken a step at which i tremble said lady hatfield raising her veil but retaining her bonnet on my way through the corridors guided by sir philip warren i met two or three of your majesties retainers and if they recognized me in spite of the thick veil not on that account interrupted the king i admit our compact was as you just now stated it to be and that the paper should have been forwarded to you but i was so anxious to see you soon again that i could not resist the temptation of that idea which suggested to me how much better it would be to solicit you to come hither this evening and receive from my hands the document which you so much desire here it is beloved georgiana signed by myself and countersigned by the secretary of state the king presented the paper to Lady Hatfield, who received it with joy flashing from her eyes, and she immediately secured it about her person. My curiosity prompts me to ask an explanation of the extraordinary contents of that document, said the monarch, but, on the other hand, delicacy forbids. And I thank you for this delicacy, sire, exclaimed Lady Hatfield, with earnest sincerity. It were a long tale to tell, and a useless one. Yes, useless indeed when we have a far more interesting topic for our discourse, interrupted George the Fourth, throwing one of his arms round the lady's neck. "'Sire!' cried Georgiana in a reproachful tone, as she hastily withdrew herself from that half-embrace and retreated to the further end of the ottoman. "'Oh, wherefore play the coy and the cruel?' exclaimed the king. "'Have I not given you a signal-proof of my attachment? By affixing my signature to a paper,' the contents of which i scarcely understand and by ordering the minister to legalize it with his name and think you sweet lady that it was an easy task to induce the responsible functionary to obey me in this respect but i menaced and coaxed by turns and all this for your sake do i not therefore deserve the reward of your smiles the recompense of your caresses i recognise all that is generous in the conduct of your majesty towards me in respect to this document said lady hatfield but were i to succumb to you now sire i should loathe myself i should become degraded in my own estimation i should feel that i had been purchased by a bribe no sire i cannot renounce every consideration of purity every sentiment of propriety in a single moment what further proof do you require of my attachment demanded the king in a tone of vexation which he could not altogether subdue no other proof save your forbearance on this occasion answered georgiana remember sire what i told you the other night i am not a woman of impure imagination no nor of depraved character and i cannot consent to become your mistress without a mental effort on my part without wooing on yours in yielding myself to your majesty i will be as a wife who is forced to dispense with the ceremony which alone can make her one in reality and if your majesty deem me worth the winning let me be won by means of those delicate attentions which would be shown in honourable courtship verdition ejaculated the king who was as much unaccustomed to hear such language as he was to sue at the feet of beauty how long will you keep me in this suspense fair lady how long must i endure the tortures of deferred hope consider i love you madly you are so beautiful so sweetly beautiful oh to press you in my arms pardon me sire for daring to interrupt you said georgiana but if there is nothing save the impulse of the senses in this liaison of ours your majesty will soon become wearied of me and i shrink in horror from the idea of becoming the cast-off mistress of even royalty itself let me seek to engage your affections as you must endeavour to enchain mine so that our connection may be based upon the sentiments and feelings of the heart but i already love you sincerely devotedly cruel georgiana cried the king his eyes greedily running over the outlines of the exquisitely proportioned form of the lady and the rapid survey exciting his desire almost beyond endurance not with a love calculated to be permanent said georgiani quietly and unless i become the object of such an affection never never shall i so far forget myself this is cruel this is maddening exclaimed the king and he extended his arms towards lady hatfield sire do not treat me with outrage she said rising from the ottoman and speaking in a dignified manner if your majesty supposed that your sovereign rank would so far dazzle my imagination as to make me throw myself into your arms at the very first words of encouragement which fell from your lips your majesty has sadly misunderstood the character of georgiana hatfield do not be angry with me adorable creature exclaimed the king I love you too much to risk the chance of losing you by any misconduct on my part. Name, therefore, your own terms. Or rather, let me ask whether you will consent to visit me every evening for an hour, and allow us an opportunity to become better acquainted with each other. Now your majesty speaks in a manner calculated to win my esteem, observed Lady Hatfield, avoiding a direct reply to the question put to her. And when the esteem of a woman is once secured, I understand you interrupted george the fourth hastily her love speedily follows be it as you say sweet lady he continued in a slower tone and let us secure each other's affections you shall find me docile and obedient to your will and this is much for me to promise but let me hope that the period of probation will not be long that the hour of recompense is not far distant hush sire exclaimed georgiana in a reproachful voice this is the language of sense whereas you must secure my affections by the language of sentiment if you treat me as a woman who is to be purchased as your mistress let our connection cease this moment but if you will woo me as a wife should be one although i am well aware that your Majesty's is wife i can never be would that i could marry you this moment cried the king fixing his eyes upon her beauteous countenance but you are ravishingly lovely I would give a year of my life to obtain all i crave this night oh georgiana be not so coy and cruel with me for you madden me my veins seem to run with molten lead be mine at once and render my happiness complete behold that small low door in yonder corner it opens into a room which may serve as our nuptial chamber come then dearest georgiana let me lead you thither not cold hesitating and resisting but warm and impassioned and prepared to revel in the delights of love our privacy will be complete no intruder need we fear and the world will never know that you have become mine sire this language on your part in spite of all the arguments and remonstrances which i have used exclaimed lady hatfield is unworthy of a great king and a polished gentleman the madness of love knows nothing of regal rank nor the shackles of etiquette said the monarch speaking in a tone of great excitement and in spite of the promises which i just now so rashly made i cannot endure delay no sweetest lady you must be mine at once and he wound his arms around georgiana's form the fury of his desires animating him with a strength against which she could not long have resisted but at that moment succor was at hand forth from his place of concealment sprang the blackamoor and an ejaculation of surprise and rage burst from the lips of the king while a cry of joy emanated from those of lady hatfield who are you and what signifies this intrusion demanded george the fourth instantly releasing his intended victim at this sudden apparition but without answering the monarch, the Blackmore hastily led the half-fainting lady hatfield to the door opened it to allow her to pass out of the room and closing it behind her placed his back against it though being effected with such speed that georgiana had disappeared before the king could recover from the astonishment into which the very first step of the bold proceeding had thrown him villainous negro cried the disappointed monarch at length recovering the power of speech do you know who i am that you have thus dared to outrage me i know very well who you are sire and i am grieved to the very soul at the idea of being compelled to acknowledge you as my king returned the black in a calm collected and somewhat mournful tone this insolence to me ejaculated george the fourth becoming purple with rage make waste sirrah for me to pass hence not until i have allowed lady hatfield sufficient time to escape from this house which the country has given us up as a palace for your majesty but which seems to be used for purposes too vile to contemplate without horror was the firm reply the king fell back a few paces in speechless astonishment never before had he been thus bearded but in that momentary interval of silence a crowd of recollections rushed to his mind, warning him that the individual who thus seemed to defy his rank and power had been present during the whole of the interview with Lady Hatfield, and that this individual had learnt how the royal and ministerial signatures had been given as a means of propitiating a coy beauty, without any reference to the interests of the state when the king remembered all this he was alarmed at the serious manner in which he suddenly found himself compromised for that blackamoor could make revelations of nature to arouse against him the indignation of the whole kingdom and reckless as george the fourth was of public opinion he trembled at the idea of exciting public resentment thus did a few moments of reflection show him the precipice on which he stood and carry to his mind a conviction of the necessity of making terms with the sable stranger who had obtained such a dangerous power over him but the mere thought of such a compromise was sorely repugnant to the haughty spirit of george the fourth and yet there was no alternative he accordingly addressed himself with the best grace he could assume to the task of conciliation my good sir he said approaching the black i seek not to deal harshly with you and yet you owe me an explanation of the motives which induced you to penetrate into the palace and the means by which you gained access to my private apartments i feel bound to answer your majesty with candour and frankness in order to clear myself from any injurious suspicion which my concealment in this room might naturally engender was the reply the explanation sire is briefly given i was accosted by an elderly gentleman in pall mall and asked if i required a situation in truth i do not but it being intimated to me that the proffered place was in the royal household, curiosity prompted me to follow the gentleman into the palace. He left me alone in his ante-room for upwards of an hour, and growing weary of waiting, I sought a means of egress. But losing my way, I found myself at length in this room, and almost immediately afterwards, Your Majesty entered with the very gentleman I am speaking of, and whose name I learnt to be Warren. I concealed myself behind the curtains with no bad intention and indeed i was about to come forth and explain the reasons of my presence to your majesty when certain words which fell from your majesty's lips made me acquainted with the fact that lady hatfield was expected here every moment that name nailed me to the spot and i was prompted by an uncontrollable curiosity to wait and satisfy myself whether lady hatfield could have become so depraved as to surrender herself to your arms "'You are acquainted with her, then,' exclaimed the king. "'And yet,' he added a moment afterwards, "'she did not appear to recognize you.' "'No, sire, she did not recognize me,' returned the black. "'But you must know her well, "'since the mere mention of her name rendered you thus anxious "'to see the issue of her interview,' said the king impatiently. "'I know her well, sire,' was the guarded response, "'and yet she knew not me. "'Who are you, then?' demanded George the Fourth, fixing a searching look upon the stranger. You certainly are not what Sir Philip Warren took you for. I must firmly, though respectfully, decline to give any account of myself, said the Blackamoor. Your Majesty will now permit me to withdraw. One moment, cried the King, how stand we in respect to each other? Do you constitute yourself the enemy of your sovereign? Will you publish your knowledge of all that has transpired here this evening? Or can I offer you some earnest— that i myself am not offended by the manner in which you ere now thought fit to address me i have no interest in making known to the public those secrets which have so accidentally been revealed to me answered the blackamoor it is never a pleasing task to an honest man to publish the frailties or failings of a fellow-creature much less when the fellow-creature is placed at the head of the nation as for any reward or rather bribe to induce me to remain silent none is necessary at the same time he added hastily correcting himself as a second thought struck him it may be as well that i should avail myself of your majesty's offer for it might so fall out that the privilege of claiming a boon at your royal hands may prove serviceable to you some day or another eh added the king impatiently well be it so and stranger though you be to me i rely in confidence upon your solemn pledge to place a seal on your lips Relative to the incidents of this night. Thus speaking, the monarch seated himself at the nearest table, and opening a drawer, took forth writing materials. Then, with a haste which showed his desire to put an end to a painful interview, he penned the following lines on a slip of paper We acknowledge a sense of deep obligation to the bearer of this memorandum, the said bearer having rendered us especial service, and we hold ourselves bound to grant him any boon which he may demand at our hands so that it be not inconsistent with our royal honour, nor prejudicial to the interests of the State. Given this 3rd of March, in the year 1827, George Rex, L.S. The King lighted a taper, and affixed his royal seal to this document, which he then handed to the Blackmore, saying, You perceive what confidence I place in you. See that the good name of Lady Hatfield on the one side, and your Silverine's honour on the other be not compromised by any indiscreet revelations on your part your majesty may rest assured that i shall maintain the incidents of this evening a profound secret and that i shall not abuse the privilege conferred upon me by this paper which bears your royal signature the blackamoor bowed and retired from the presence of king george the fourth whom he left in no very pleasant humour at the turn which his meditated attack upon the virtue of lady hatfield had taken on this occasion the black had no difficulty in finding the way to the private staircase up which sir philip warren had originally introduced him and he was about to issue forth from carlton house when he suddenly encountered the old courtier and sir randolph harrel in the hall these gentlemen were disputing in a loud tone but the moment the blackamoor appeared sir philip warren sprang towards him exclaiming why where have you possibly been but no matter he added in a triumphant tone "'since you are here at length to settle the question "'between me and my friend.' "'The fact is, my good sir,' said Sir Randolph, "'I have laid Sir Philip Warren twenty guineas.' "'Yes, twenty guineas,' interrupted Sir Philip hastily. "'That you are—that you are not!' cried Sir Randolph. "'I say that you are!' exclaimed Sir Philip. "'And I say that you are not!' vociferated Sir Randolph. "'Gentlemen, pray explain yourselves,' said the Blackamoor well i say that you are a lackey out of place observed sir philip warren and i say that you are not cried sir randolph harrel in his turn whereupon we have bet twenty guineas but you must decide who has won," added sir philip then gentlemen said the Blackmore in a merry tone i can soon set that matter at rest so far from being a lackey out of place i have upwards of a dozen dependents of my own i wish you a very good night why i am robbed as if it were on the highway exclaimed sir philip warren his countenance suddenly becoming as awful and blank as such a port wine visage could possibly be ha ha chuckled sir randolph robbed or not please to hand me over twenty good guineas and the cachinnation of the winning courtier was echoed by the merry laugh of the blackamoor as this individual issued forth from carleton house again as he passed along pall mall did the black pause for a few moments opposite the splendid mansion of the earl of ellingham and gazed at it with the attention of no common observer he was about to continue his way when two men belonging to the working class stopped likewise for an instant in front of the house and one said to the other that is where the earl lives god bless him yes god bless him repeated his companion with the emphasis of unfeigned sincerity for he is the people's friend the two men then passed on who dares to say that the industrious millions have no gratitude murmured the blackamoor to himself as he also pursued his way Oh, arthur you are now indeed worthy of the proud name which you bear and i likewise exclaimed from the bottom of my heart may god bless you End of chapter one hundred and seven